Welcome to Sip Sip Hooray, the podcast. I'm Mary Babbitt. And I'm Mary Orlin, and you've come to the place where wine is always fun. You sure did. Our goal on Sip Sip Hooray is to make wine accessible, to make it interesting, and of course, to make it fun. We just want to inspire you to try something different, get out of your Chardonnay and Cabernet rut. (laughs) I get in those. Uh, Also, we want to introduce you to great people that we have met along the way in the wine world and uh, show you great places to go and interesting things to do. Speaking of, on today's show, we're going to take you on a little field trip. We're heading out to Livermore Valley. It's east of San Jose, and it's one of California's oldest wine regions. You may know the names Wente, Concanon, right? Well, you need to know Page Mill Winery, too. So we're going to introduce you to our good friend, Dane Stark. All right, we are excited to introduce you to an old friend of ours, Dane Stark and Page Mill Winery. Dane was one of the very first people we featured on In Wine Country so many years ago. And back then, Dane was living in the Silicon Valley city of Palo Alto, and he was making wine in his family's basement on Page Mill Road, a garagiste. So then Dane moved across the San Francisco Bay Area to Livermore, and since our first interview all those years ago, Dane has gotten married, had three daughters, and opened his own Page Mill Winery on South Livermore Avenue in Livermore. As you can tell, Dane wears a lot of hats. He's a father, he's a husband, he's a vintner. He's also a musician and a triathlete. On top of all of that, he's a super chill guy who's so much fun to be with, and we're glad to have him on our show. Hi, Dane. Hi, and thank you so much for coming back. It's fun to see you again. It's good to connect again, right? Yeah. I know. It's like, we knew you when you knew us when. A lot yeah, has happened. Yeah, right? Then, a right? lot has happened. Don't leave poet off there. I'm also... Oh, you're a poet. I'm a, I'm a budding poet. I, I try, but, I, but everything else uh-huh. is more important, but that's the one that feeds the soul. Right? Of course. <laughs> and how do you find time to... To do all of this? Uh, you got to fit it in when you can, right? Um, the workouts are early and, and the, the nights are late, so <laughs> you do what you have to do. So tell me, what time are you up to start your day? Well, um, so my wife, Angela, is a, is a real marathoner and I try to keep up to her. And so we both get up at 4 a.m. in order to run. And we run all, you know, actually, the best thing about it is you run all over the valley. And I'm, I'm intimately familiar with all of the microclimates of Livermore Valley because at 4 a.m. there's no distraction and I can feel the temperature changes and I know exactly what side of the valley is the coolest and, and uh, so anyway we get up early and uh, and our workout's done before the coffee shop opens. That's and does having that knowledge help you pick vineyards that you want to work with? You know it, it really does. Actually when I moved to Livermore in 04 um, I was making Chardonnay out of five different appellations. Uh, today and, and if you asked me back then if I could make Chardonnay out of Livermore I would have laughed at you. I thought it was too hot. I, I just I, I had this myopic vision of Livermore Valley. I discovered that you can make Chardonnay to Livermore. Today we're only making Livermore Valley Chardonnay. It's in the west end of the valley. And I'll tell you, at 4 a.m. when I'm running through the valley and I'm coming down South Livermore Avenue and we drop into the west end where Kaltoff Commons is and there's some hills and these little valleys, it drops by five, eight, sometimes 10 degrees. That's the coolest end of the valley. And that's where we make Chardonnay out. <laughs> that's where your happy grapes are. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So it does help. Yeah. So tell us about the winery. You're busy out here. You're making how many varieties? And- oh, gosh. Uh, we're probably at about 16 different wines. 
Um, when, I, when I left the peninsula, we were doing uh, just under 2,000 cases, and we've more than doubled, so we're about 5,000 cases. Um, we, we're, when we got here, we weren't making any wines from Livermore Valley. I, I came here for the tasting room. Um, it was a way to keep my wife close to her work, which is in Silicon Valley, and for me to expand production and have a tasting room. What I discovered was um, the quality and the value in Livermore Valley, uh, and today we're 95% local fruit. Um, so we're doing we're we're doing a lot of different wines, and and you know we're we're again when 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 you first interviewed me. I, I'm not going to say how many years ago. Um, we were just to the gills. We were packed with production. Uh, we've doubled and almost tripled production, and now again we're packed. So maybe maybe there's a next step. I don't know. I remember from that shoot that you were climbing up into the stacks in the basement. You know, there was barely any room between the top of the barrels and the roof of the seat of the basement you were you know squeezing yeah. through there to get samples yeah. and- if you recall uh, in that basement um i had marked on the so it was pyramid stacked today i'm not pyramid stacked everything's done with a forklift on, on racks mm-hmm. right um and, and people come in other winemakers come to my barrel room and they and they look at it and it's stacked i mean to the gills and they say oh my god this is too tight and i think this is heaven. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I look, I look at it, and there's 250 barrels in there, and I can, I can be at any barrel within an hour with my forklift. Whereas at the old place, it, they were pyramid stacks, so barrel on barrel, and uh, we had a mark on the rack, on the barrel rack on the ground, because you had to line it up just right, because the fourth layer of barrels would crest in between the floor joists. Wow, and we should um, tell our listeners that we are actually here on site with you at the winery in the tasting room, hence the phone noise you just heard. But you're in, in the middle of the 2018 harvest right now and um, you, and production. You've got grapes coming in this morning. Yeah, thanks um, for sparing the time. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. bet. Anything yeah, so guys. tell us what you've got coming in. So um, yesterday morning I was talking to somebody and they, and they said, how far along are you? Um, some of the local wineries are just starting to pick. Um, I thought we're going to do about 100 tons, and I said, I think we're about 30%. We've maybe done 30 tons. Uh, Jack, my assistant winemaker, turned to me, and he said, we've done 57 tons. So we're, we're more than halfway there. Uh, it's been, a, it's been a really a spectacular harvest. I think 2018 is going to be off the charts good. Really? Yeah. Um, we've got uh, a bunch of stuff fermenting. We've picked our Zin. All of our whites are in. Um, and the vintage, uh, knock on wood... That's the sound of me knocking on wood. Uh, is going to be spectacular. Why? What's what are you liking about it? So um, we're always looking for the right numbers. We're always looking for the right pH and acid and bricks balance, right? Um, because you, you you can't you can't take sort of muddled colors and paint a great painting. You're looking for this clarity of of, of uh, the things that you start with, right? Um, so we're looking for those good numbers. Uh, but then the other things that have to come along are the flavors and the development and the growing season has to allow you to get all the way to the end and still have those clean colors, those perfect colors that you can then paint a great picture with. Um, this vintage, I'm going to do it again, knock on wood, because <laughs> uh, we're chances. only halfway there, um, appears to me to be one of the best in, in at least a decade. Um, so we didn't have any real high um, heat spikes this summer. We had one really warm 
uh, week, but uh, it just it just wasn't that hot, and and it's been a nice long. We had an early bud break, a nice long growing season. Um, I think it's going to be fabulous. That's cool. awesome. That's really awesome. Speaking of wine, why don't we taste something? What do you have? Let's for do us? that. Okay, so I've got this one that looks a little strange, yeah, but I'm going to make you taste cloudy. it anyway. All right. It's cloudy. It's somewhat opaque. It's got a. It's got a. Um, it's going to end up being a white wine. Um, mm-hmm. This is our Sauvignon Blanc that has finished fermentation. Uh, it's in tank okay. and it's just settling, so it's oh. brand new. Uh, it's this only is about the 2018. This vintage. is the 2018 Sauvignon Blanc, and it's only about three weeks old. Oh wow! So you can't see this, but it is. It's cloudy. It almost looks like a glass of maybe grapefruit juice, right? Yeah, yeah it does. It looks yes. like grapefruit juice. That's really good. Mm. It's got just a lovely aroma. Um, it's still got a little bit of yeastiness to it, um, and that's because all those yeasts are in suspension, and they're still settling to the bottom of the tank. It's got a real bright, crisp um, uh, yeah. presentation on the palate. A lot um, of citrus, like lemon citrus, and also I guess like you know pineapple and some tropical fruit. Yeah, it's really delicious. It, so obviously we're not going to sell it like right. this. This is going to clean up. Mm-hmm. It'll be clear when yeah. we sell it. It's hard to believe that it's going to go from this kind of hazy, pale yellow, very very pale yellow liquid to a crystal clear pale yellow. Yeah, this yeah. is a great wine. Uh, yeah, I it mean, will it be. It, it's right going to be fantastic. My golly, it's yeah, delicious. Yeah. I have always liked your Sauvignon Blanc, and you get that, you know, really tart, kind of juicy feeling in your mouth, like, but no bitter bite. Yeah, yeah. really nice. Yeah. Um, we, we were, when we moved here, we were making Sauvignon Blanc since like 1982 out of Paso Robles. Mm-hmm. And I thought um, the Livermore Valley was one place I wanted to try, one of the varietals I wanted to try out of Livermore was a Sauvignon Blanc. I tasted in the Algren Vineyards, uh, Samillon and Sauvignon Blanc, and I knew that there was some good stuff over here. So I gave that a try, and holy cow, I was blown away. I made it side by side with Paso Robles for three years, and then I thought, why am I driving all the way to Paso Robles? Right. I, I was getting the, the local stuff, which was, which was um, you know, cost competitive, uh, if not a little bit less expensive mm, for the mm-hmm. grapes. It was every bit as good, if, if not a little bit better, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't have to truck up and down, up and down the state, right. you know, in September. Yeah. So, um, so that was the first wine that opened my eyes to the vet quality in Livermore Valley. Yeah. And uh, this is, uh, I think, this is our thirty third vintage or something like that of Sauvignon Blanc, and it's our eleventh or so out of Livermore Valley. So. Some of our listeners may not know much about Livermore Valley and um, compared to Napa and Sonoma, which they, of course, are familiar with. So tell us just a little bit about Livermore and uh, what makes it so special and why people need to know it and come visit you. So Livermore Valley is this hidden gem in the Bay Area um, with a long history and track record. Um, the Wentys and Cronkannons have been uh, making wine here for 130, 135 years. Um, and if you trace uh, all of the Chardonnay va- vines in California, 80% of them come from the Wente clone. Hmm. So the history is undeniable. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the reason it, it's, I, I don't know why it's a hidden gem, but I can tell you why it's a gem. Um, the valley is only about six miles across. And uh, the Altamont Pass is on its eastern border, which um, uh, your listeners may, may know uh, has, is covered with windmills. The reason that's one of the best wind gen- one of the best power generating uh, windmill sections in the state mm-hmm. is because the wind comes through the Golden Gate 
over the Berkeley Hills mm -hmm. and whips through our valley in the afternoon. Now, yeah, what so that, we have experienced that wind on recycled TV shoots. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yes. I bet. I bet. It's consistent. Not great for the hair, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I bet. Yeah. And, well, what but good that, for grapes. Yeah. What it does yeah. for the wine region is it, is it creates a diurnal shift. It creates this, this nighttime cooling which the grapes need. They, they want the heat, they want the, you know, the, the nice soils and, and plenty of water, but they, they need it to, to rest, mm -hmm. like, like everybody. We need to sleep at night, we need to rest. Um, kind of like athletes, you need to recover, right? It's recovery time, exactly. Mm -hmm. and, so, uh, and so at night we get that diurnal shift, we get the wind cools off the valley, um, and it's, it's um, and, you know, one other thing about Limor Valley is that, is that as a community, they have held off the, the, the tide of construction of urbanism with agriculture. And so they saw this this push from the Bay Area to try to develop, and they and they established an urban growth boundary and a plan in the in the 90s that really dedicated the whole South Valley to agriculture and wine the wine industry. Smart. Um, yeah, really and, and smart. it it, re it worked. And so now you've got a plethora of, of, of wineries. We're up to almost 60, and uh, and you've got a lot of, of, of vineyards that you know have have been protected. So tell me, you it's important to you to give back to Livermore, right? You've got a couple of things going on. I want I want to say like a Thirsty Thursday. Yeah. And um, are you still doing the like fill up your bottle thing? We are. Right? Yeah, yeah. So so personally, I, I have been thinking and considering sustainability for a long time. And, and that comes out in different ways. The, the fill up your bottle is something that came from... Um, from my experience in Bordeaux, living in, in Bordeaux when I was going to school and studying enology, um, and I and it's so European to take your bottles down to the local winery and fill them up, right? And it makes perfect sense because recycling is good, but reusing is better. So in the 08 crash, I thought, okay, my job is no longer to make the world's best wine, but to rather still be standing when the dust settles. <laughs> I still need to be here if I'm going to make the world's best yeah, wine, I guess right? It I got to survive. Still here. Yeah, I'm still here. So I pulled it out. I dusted it off that idea, and I said, okay, well, let's try this. It, and I thought we'd do it once or twice a year. It was such a hit. We've done it every month since January '09, almost 10 years, and we've saved 45,000 bottles from being recycled or thrown away. Wow. So people bring in their bottle. They bring in their bottle and we fill it up with that month's blend. It's just the topping wine or, or you know, stuff that we're, we're not using for the regular vineyard designate. It all gets blended together and it changes every month. And for 10 bucks, you, you take home a, a great table wine. 10 bucks. Yeah. Oh, and hopefully wow. next month you bring it back and yeah. fill it up again. And for okay. another 10 bucks. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, and you know, that's one thing I think you're doing is helping to make wine more fun, more approachable. And I think I hope so. people like to be involved in some way and you know I'd love to bring my bottles yeah. and if I lived close enough I'd you, guys are, you guys are invited <laughs> yeah, and then you also uh, do um, is it charity nights on Thursday we do every Thursday we do a tasting we're open late until until 8 o'clock um, and it's it's a different charity every week um, and all of our tasting fees, a portion of our proceeds go towards that charity, and then they invite uh, vendors and they sell and, and 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 they you know you can do some some holiday shopping on those Thursday nights, and a portion of those proceeds go to the charities. Last year, 
our commit our um, portion of that donation ended up being over fifteen thousand dollars for local charities that's every so Thursday cool. night. Yeah. So I mean that's part of being in a community is mm. giving back to it. So I feel like in Livermore you've really established yourself as a successful business and winery, but also as a a partner in the community who cares, which is so, so cool, right? I hope so. And you've also done another cool project with two neighboring wineries. You all kind of made a blend uh, um, together. Tell me about that. So um, the community is, of winemakers is uh, perhaps not um, totally unique, but it's, it's, it's very valuable and it's important to all of us. Um, I think the wine industry sort of engenders um, uh, cooperation and that kind of thing, and, and it, they're, they're really pretty cool people. Uh, Limor Valley is no exception. Um, I'm, I'm a real uh, tight friends with a lot of the winemakers in the valley. At one of our lunches, uh, we were sitting around uh, saying, you know, we should, why don't we work on a blend together? And so uh, the Steves of Three Steves Winery and Rhonda of Wood Family Vineyards and I um, uh, put some whites together and we did some blending experiments, which was terrible, tough work. Uh, <laughs> and and we it. came up with a Viognier Chardonnay Pinot Blanc blend that we called Vines Intertwined. Oh, um, and I, like I think that. we're completely sold out. But oh, it was a great. really fun project. I was lucky enough to taste some of it and it was pretty yeah, darn tasty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but before we move on, speaking of wine again, I think we're a little thirsty. What else do you have for us to try? So um, I, after talking about the Chardonnay, I have to pour you some of the Chardonnay. Let me get this real quick. Oh, he's getting the spit and bunt, dump bucket. Now we're set. So this is um, our Chardonnay that comes from that Chandler Vineyard on the west end of the valley um, that I'm super, super proud of. Um, the vineyard also... so. Uh, this vineyard is split by another uh, winery and myself. Um, we choose when to harvest um, and manage the vineyard throughout the year. Um, it is on the west end and very close to the hills up against the bay. Mm-hmm. And so it's got a little bit of fog that, that kind of licks over the, over the hills there um, in the mornings. And, um, and I'm super proud of it. As well you should be. <laughs> it's really <laughs> good. It's pretty good. Golly, that's nice. Now, those grapes also go into our sparkling wine. Oh, yeah. um, Which is... So, in 08, um, one of my uh, business partners who had been making bubbly in his his garage for 20 years, Mm -hmm. he's got the expertise, and I said, let's do a bubbly. We did one out of Dry Creek. Um, Four years later, in 2012, we we tasted it, and it just turned out unbelievable. And I said, okay, we got to do another one. We got to do it out of local fruit, and it's the Chandler Vineyard, so it's out of the, at, from same. those same grapes. So good. Yeah. And so, in even years, I pick one ton of sparkling, but at a much lower bricks. It's mm-hmm. got to be really mm-hmm. underripe. When you taste right. the so juice, so that means lower sugar. Yeah. Yeah. So when you taste the juice, when when we're making like this Chardonnay that's in your glass, it's uh, you taste the juice right out of the vineyard, and it's sweet, and it tastes like just this this voluptuous mouthful of of, of yummy yeah when we pick it for sparkling we pick it a month prior to that and you put it in your mouth and it's just this acidic you know you can't even hardly swallow it it's so underripe but But. that makes great 
bubbly. It's fascinating wine. how that's going to turn into something really great in yeah. the bottle, right? Yeah. I this like, Chardonnay. I like your description, a mouthful of yummy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you like, are clearly an artist, you know, like in, in the way you speak, your passion. So I want to know, would you tell us about like, like your music? So this is another avenue. So one of the ways that you express your art is obviously in the bottle and in, in your wines, but... Um, you got it just oozing out of you. So you make a lot of music too. So tell us about I that. I try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've, I, I learned guitar in, in college and I, I learned three chords and I, I kind of plateaued at about six months and I played those three chords for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And then I finally realized that, that um, I'm, I'm, I also struggle with poetry and, that, and I, I work on that all the time. And, and I finally got serious and I said, you know, I really want to learn how to play guitar. And I joined a group, and uh, and it's been you know upward since then. Um, we play here at the winery periodically. Uh, we just did a fundraiser um, for Taste Our Terroir, where Mark Claren, one of the one of the best musicians in the valley, and I shared a is stage. Is he really? Yeah. He, oh, is, he is the winemaker at another local winery called McGrail Family Vineyards. And he's a fabulous musician. He's a great winemaker, and he's a fabulous musician. What does he play? He plays guitar. Okay. It's, he's got a bit of a funk to his guitar, uh-huh. so he, so uh, and he's a great singer. Oh uh-huh. my God, I I strive to be like Mark Claren. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, what kind of music are you doing? Like, classic rock, classic, in, okay. indie rock. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Hey, cool. And you and play guitar. I play guitar. See that? These are my those are my three daughters. Oh, on this. Yeah. I'm yes, shaking the my these metal necklace. guitar picks yeah. that are made um, with his daughter's names on it. So cool. Yeah. So, does your poetry end up working as song lyrics? Yes, actually, my the, half my written songs have come out come out poetry, and actually, like really old poetry stuff that I wrote, you know. 10, 15, 20 years ago is coming, is being reborn as a song. <laughs> nothing gold can stay. Nothing gold can stay. Nothing gold can stay. Nothing gold can ever stay. Way gave way today, and Crescent shot a glance. And though the ladders stayed, there still remained a chance. Nothing old can stay, nothing old can stay, nothing old can stay, nothing old. You know, um, I'm probably the worst uh, musician in the in my band, mm-hmm. but they can't kick me out of the band because I've got the venue. So we, we play here. <laughs> You're you know, set. Yeah, in high school, if you had the PA, you always right. had a gig, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got the venue, so uh, we play here periodically. Um, uh, we're playing for our uh, next wine club release, November 16th. So. It must be a nice release for you, too, right? To, you know, you're a busy guy. With, there's, there's a lot of um, balls in the air at all times when you're running a winery and a for family. Sure. For sure. <laughs> so just to be able to um, get together with friends and make music, what a lovely thing. It's spectacular. Mm-hmm. It, it, even when I feel um, a little stressed and I'm, I feel like I'm overworked and I don't have time for practice, 
as soon as I get to practice and we yeah. and we rock out for two hours and I come out of there rejuvenated and, and you know you got to you got to listen to your soul and making music is is part of what I do. Yeah. Does your band have a name? Icelandic Underbelly. Okay, you got to explain that one. <laughs> I almost guessed that. <laughs> you know, for those in the know, it's Ice Belly. Uh, so you can call us Ice Belly. I, I have no idea where it came from. We were we were getting ready to play a gig and we didn't have a name. And so I threw out some crazy names, Icelandic being one of them, because we're not Icelandic, you know? And they and I was like, oh, they'll never choose this one, and they did. How funny. So well, there you go. Ice belly. Yeah, ice belly <laughs> for those in the know. I've heard of having fire in the belly, but ice in the belly. Yeah, oh, it's much more rock and roll. <laughs> what about some more wine in the belly? Yeah, okay. Now, so, which one do you, is your favorite to make? Uh, so my favorite wine overall is, of course, the one that's named after my wife, Angela. It's Angela's Cuvée, oh. and it's a dry rosé. I'm completely sold out, so we can't taste it today. Mm-hmm. But So you have to take my word for it. Yes. But one of my favorites that I'm super proud of, it's called um, GPS. And, uh, and that's not global positioning system, is it? Well, it's a play on <laughs> that, that, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. So um, I wanted to make a wine that that really said Livermore Valley, that, that, that is a, a, a wine of place. And the Livermore Valley um, is not dissimilar to the Rhone Valley. We grow great Syrah, um, and uh, the Rhone blends do really well here. So I knew I wanted to sort of pattern it after that. Um, the, the classic Rhone blend is a GSM, Grenache Syrah Mouvedre. And, uh, and that says Rhone Valley. Mm-hmm. So uh, because Livermore Valley has a long history of Petit Syrah, and uh, you know, I think Concanon was the first one to put on the label in 62. Um, so uh, there's a history there. So I wanted to include that. I didn't have any Mourvedre, so I replaced the Mourvedre with Petit Syrah. So actually it should be um, S-P-G. Is the order? It's eighty percent Syrah, sixteen oh. percent um, Petit Syrah, and then four percent Grenache. Did that, add, did that add up to one hundred percent? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, and so then, but then I put my marketing hat on. I said, "Well, this is my location wine," yeah. and I moved the letters around, and I came up with GPS. I love it. It's great. So that's what it brilliant. Is. It's, it's a fun. really good wine. It's Thank a nice you. little berry. Yeah, it's flavor. really fruity and easy to drink. That's a good uh, thing. Yeah, very juicy. The, I think really the point is, do you want to take another sip? Yeah, You, know, you exactly. can look at all the ratings I just and what did. everyone else. Oh, there you go. <laughs> going to try another. Yeah. <laughs> Done. No, this is really You can throw everyone really else's good. opinion out the window and all the ratings, and, and really what matters is, do you want to take another sip? Yeah, yeah. So. and you know that's why we want to make wine fun, more approachable, because you know if you just sit and drink this whether you're eating or with some friends or just kicking back on a Thursday night yeah you always you have must have a really good palate because you really have always gotten the taste you've nailed it on your wines even when you were all those years ago when you were just a young guy um, following in your father's footsteps um, you really you get this you know how to do this bless you for saying that I, I I hope that I do. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, as a winemaker, you really got to make what you like because uh-huh. if it doesn't sell, you got to drink it all. So you don't want to make something that, you know, you can't really make it for other people. So hopefully there's enough people out there who have my palate yeah. that are going to like the wines that I make. So. <laughs> so also we wanted to ask you about um, your athletics. I mean, mm-hmm. you really get after it. So yeah. uh, a triathlete. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when tell I, us about I, what your race history and all that kind of stuff. I mean, 
So I've always been a runner. I've always enjoyed running. I did, you know, high school, high school um, athletics and such, and and carried on running um, through my adulthood. Uh, when I met my my wife Angela, um, she said, you know, let's try a triathlon, and we were off to the races, so to speak. Um, so now, so she's a real marathoner. So most of my athletics are just trying to keep up to her. Um, I have taken. To the triathlons, and she's still running marathons. Okay. Um, but I, I love triathlons, and it you know keeps you going. So cool! And, and the longest you've done is that Olympic half Ironman. Half Ironman. Yeah, I've done the I've done the Santa Cruz half Ironman three four times, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's a it's a good event. Yeah, it's it, that's a commitment in itself. Training for a, um, a half Ironman is it really is. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got three girls. Three wonderful exceptional daughters. Aww. You are seriously outnumbered in your house. I know, right? What is that like to be surrounded by? I need need to learn how to fish because I heard that an aluminum boat is a good estrogen insulator. So that's why people fish. They go out in the middle of a lake and, you know, um, it's, I'm, yeah. So blessed to have three daughters, and uh, do you think they'd want to follow in your footsteps and go into wine? I don't know. I didn't get any pressure from my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to play the same game, and if somebody wants to, then you know Stella, my oldest, my 14 year old, is uh, the most uh, interested. She'll she, um, I, she smells every wine that I that I drink, every glass of wine I have. She'll smell it and tell me what she smells. Uh, so she's kind of taken a, a liking mm-hmm, to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, but, it's very cool. Uh, and age appropriate. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's her life. And so, you yeah. know, if we end up with a winemaker, that, that's great. We should explain uh, Dane's dad made wine starting in what, 1975. 70, okay. Yeah, 76 yeah. was the first professional harvest. Mm-hmm. He made it, He made 15 gallons of Chenin Blanc in 75. Chenin Blanc? Yeah. Back then, nice. And he it did was, it as a side project, right? It wasn't his main gig? or No, it was. He quit his job and, and dug a hole into the house and started making walls. Your mother must have thought he was insane. He, well, it, it, if I tell you about the Chenin Blanc, you'll think he's in, he was insane oh, okay. too. Uh-huh. So in 75, he was thinking about doing this, and he made 15 gallons of Chenin Blanc. Mm-hmm. It was completely undrinkable. Oh. My uncle called it Urina Blanca. <laughs> That's yeah, the that's only good. experience he had. Uh, I got to keep going. And in 76, he quit. He said, I'm going to quit my job. My, my mom said, okay, whatever. And, and he, he dug a hole into the house and started making wine. That's amazing. Yeah. Instead of running for, you know, like, oops, I'm not, not going to try that. Like, yeah, right. That big fat fail. He's like, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> so what was the next wine he made? So in 76, he made, uh, I know he made Cab Chard and Zinn. Okay. Um, and uh, believe it or not, when we moved here, I found a case of 1976 Chardonnay, Livermore Valley, Page Mill Winery, that my dad had made. Are you serious? And I pulled it out and I called him and I said, you didn't tell me I'm returning to my roots. And he said, oh yeah, I made that one vintage and it it convinced me I should never make Livermore Valley wine again. And I'm here to tell you that, that we tasted it in about 2010. That's when I found when I discovered it and opened it up. I was getting ready to throw it out, and I said, oh, I should taste a bottle just for fun. And we were, I was with a group of friends. Seven of the bottles out of that case were unbelievable. They were exceptional. They were so delicious. And then the other five tasted like something had died in them. But, yeah. well, but what, a, what a nice surprise. Yeah. yeah. So it was, more Valley it was wines fabulous. can age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and the Chardonnay. Too. Yeah, Chardonnay. Amazing. Well, That's a lot of people rare. don't think Chardonnay can age, and it really can. It, I mean, look at white Burgundies. 
for those of you who are fans of white burgundies, but um, I, it's been my experience, California Chardonnay, when it's made well, can age 20 years. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. you bet. Well, we're going to shift gears a little bit here and put you on the spot. Uh-oh. 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 Okay. And so we've got a, a series of questions we're just going to throw out you. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. So, you ready? Um, 47. Okay. <laughs> Blue. <laughs> Did you guys see the Monty Python? Where's the bridge? And he's like, what's your name? Sir Galahad, what's your quest? The Holy Grail. What's your favorite color? Blue. No, red. Ah, and he goes into the... <laughs> <laughs> Look it up. It's hilarious. Okay. I, I, I love a Monty Python reference. I want to get thrown into yeah. the chasm. Okay. okay, go ahead. All right. Corkscrew or screw cap? Screw cap. Red, white, or All pink? Way. Oh, pink. Favorite varietal? Um, petite. Petite Ooh. Syrah? Yes. Least favorite varietal? Uh, I don't think I have one. Oh, come on. Go. No, really. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, the best wine you've ever had? Uh, that 1976 Chardonnay that my dad made, it was Aww. unbelievable. That's sweet. And the biggest surprise. Nice. All right. Well, so I'm going to play devil's advocate. Worst wine you've ever had. There's been a bunch of them. <laughs> Half of them I made. I ask you that. <laughs> those don't ever end up, you know, those go, those go out into the vineyard or something like that. But. Was there one big surprise? You're like, oh, this is going to be great. And, and oops, it wasn't. Um, yeah, well, each barrel is so unique. It's just this, its own little world, you mm-hmm. know? And so once in a while you get one that, that uh, just didn't work. Yep. Yeah. Just surprises you. Um, what's the most expensive wine you've ever had? I had uh, the, the um, wonderful opportunity to travel France with my brother and his wife, uh, who could afford to buy whatever <laughs> they wanted. And we I tasted. Love people like that. Yeah, I know. And so we drank some exceptional wines, exceptional old wines, and uh, and um, the '76 Ekem oh. was to die for. So he's talking about Chateau de Kem, which is a dessert wine, a sweet wine made in the Bordeaux region, a blend of Sauvignon Blanc and Semillon. Mm-hmm. I've only had it once in my life. Really? Yeah. When, I, when I was in Bordeaux, um, my host father um, was best friends with the cellar master there, and so I, I got to barrel taste. Lucky you! Yeah, it was pretty good. But it's it's like liquid gold. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's it's really incredible yeah. stuff. Yeah, nice. Yeah. All right, what do you think? Uh, ice cubes and wine? Yes or no? Absolutely. If you need them, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. What, what about heck? stems or no stems on a wine glass? Um, whatever wine glass you've got, that, that's the one that works. That's the plastic. That's yeah. the vessel. That's yeah, the, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, right. Plastic tumbler. You bet. Yeah. Dixie cup. Sure. Solo. Yeah. Red solo yeah. cup. Favorite place to drink wine. Um, I was just thinking about that. It's got to be uh, listening to music in the park. Oh, nice. We've got a great Tuesday tunes downtown. That's the best place. Nice. What's your favorite wine destination outside of Livermore Valley? Burgundy. Why? Um. It, it plays to my heartstrings more than any other region. Um, the tradition, the, um, the terroir, um, I've got friends in Burgundy. Uh, it's where I fell in love with wine. And I, when I went to college, I, I, it'll surprise you to know I much preferred beer. And when I studied in Bordeaux, lived in France, that's where I fell in love with wine. Nice. Okay. Do you have a go-to wine? Like... At the Chardonnay that we just had. Yeah, that, I understand why. That was good. <laughs> And what do you drink when you're not drinking wine? Beer. It takes a lot of beer to make good wine. That's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> if you weren't making wine, what would you be doing now? 
Uh, probably trying to sing and write poetry and entertain people with, you know, with that. Right now, I'm entertaining with wine. It was a, a different kind of entertainment. Absolutely. <laughs> but it brings a smile to people's faces either way. <laughs> exactly. And it's a connection. It's, it's uh, we're sharing the same experience and, and, and that's what appeals to me. Nice. Yeah. Best wine you've ever made? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, it's like asking you to name your favorite child. I know. <laughs> Even if I have one, you don't want to say it out loud, right? You don't want to hurt anyone else's feelings. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Best wine I've ever made. Um, The the 09 GPS was exceptional. Um, The 99 Pinot out of Bienecito still sticks in my mind. Mm -hmm. And a 95 Merlot that we did at a Napa at O'Shaughnessy Vineyard. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, Those ones. Okay. Yeah, we're great. Any lessons learned that you'd tell your younger self? Oh my gosh, so many. How how long have we got? This is supposed to be rapid fire. Oh, okay. Uh, What lessons? Um, uh, Listen, listen. Um, Because the more we listen, we were given two ears and one mouth because you're supposed to listen twice as much as you talk. Oh, I love that. And what are you going to be drinking tonight or after this interview? Well, I'll open this, uh, this uh, yeah, Page Mill 2012. <laughs> All right. Well, well, thank you. What yeah, a pleasure to visit again. It's wonderful to have you. Yeah, thanks. It's, it brings back, you know, it's like good old times. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> we've all, you know, done, we've been doing some exciting things, and I think, you know, we're going to do more exciting things. So, yeah, and we want to make sure our listeners know, come on out to Livermore Valley and stop by Page Mill Winery. It's it's a beautiful destination, gorgeous vineyards all around, and, and just the nicest people you'll ever want to meet. Exactly. Thank you so much for, for coming out and visiting. All right, cheers. Cheers, Dane. Cheers. Well, that was so much fun visiting with Dane. He's such a great guy. He is. He hasn't changed over the years. And it was just, you know, great catching up with him and seeing how far he's come from his page mill days. And um, I'm so excited that he's making wine from Livermore Valley grapes and is so excited about doing it. Right. He's part of a new generation of Livermore Valley winemakers, and he's really doing a tremendous job. He wants to celebrate there. Absolutely. So, y'all... Definitely go see him, seek his wines out. You will be very, very pleasantly happy with them. Yeah, they're delicious. Mm -hmm. So interviewing winemakers like Dane is something we want to continue doing on this show. When we can go on little field trips, Mario and I will go out in the field and and, uh, interview them right at the winery. Mm -hmm. But when we can't, we'll ask them into our studios and and that way um, introduce them to you. Right. So we want to make our wine friends your wine friends, (laughs) right? Yeah. So that's going to do it for this edition of Sip Sip Hooray. Thanks for listening. And we want to connect with you. So follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Sip Sip Hooray Podcast and on Twitter, Sip Sip Hooray, the number one. And don't forget our webpage, Sip Sip Hooray Podcast.com, where you can go and record a question for us to answer. And we look forward to having you join us for our next podcast. Today, we're going to leave you with a little bit more of Dane's music. Thanks again for listening and sip, sip, hooray. Cheers. Clouds upon your lid, let through the sun as if to say, keep the sun half here or to protect your golden day.
Bingle can stay. Bingle can stay. Bingle can stay. Nothing can ever stay. Might this tender flower, when time may call us old, exhibit staying power and guard its you of gold? Nothing gold can stay, nothing gold can stay, nothing gold can stay, nothing gold. Never stay